Welcome to Church in the Valley. My name is Matt Sprankle. I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to you today because I'm, I'm really excited about the message series that we've been in. It's called Suburban Myths. We've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a book written by the richest, most powerful king in the history of Israel. His name is Solomon. And Solomon is spending this time writing this book at the end of his life. And he's, he's looking back over his life. And, and one of the things he was able to do was try to answer one of the biggest questions that really is on the heart of every person. It's something I want to know the answer to. And that is, what would really make me happy in this life? What really is the good life? Who has it? Who's the example? What person has the good life that I want to have? And how do I get it? These questions are questions that I have, I've always had. I want to be happy. I want to have a good life. I want to have the very best version of my life that I can put together. You might be able to relate to that. And the question is, how do I get that? And I, I've noticed that when I interact with other people, that they have the same question. It's, it's, like, it's like this question comes standard on the hearts of every human being. They're, it's like the phones you get. Some of you have the new iPhone, right? The iPhone gigantor. You know, it's so big that if you put it in your pocket, it will snap in half. And when you get this new phone and you take it out of the box, it already has apps running on it. And you can't delete them and you can't turn them off. You know what I'm talking about? They drive you nuts. They take up your memory. They use up your battery. Well, that's actually how we are. Every human being has a set of questions just come standard on the human heart. Like, what is the good life? Who has it? How do I get it? And although the questions are standard, the answers are not. We don't have the answers built in. And so I'm left to find out what's going to make me happy in this life. And I don't think I'm alone. I'm a teacher. I teach history at Claremont High School. And one of the things that I've learned as I've, as I've looked over history is that everybody's chasing this question. Some of the greatest minds in the West and the East have devoted their life to answering the question of what's really going to make a human being happy. You've all heard of Aristotle, Plato, 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 Aristotle and Plato. These guys, they're big time guys. Their, their writings established the foundation for the moral framework for the, the Greek culture. Aristotle's book, The Nicomachean Ethics, that book is devoted to the question, what's the good life? Plato's book, The Republic, addresses the question, what is the good life? In the East, Buddhism, one of the biggest religions in, in the world, is fundamentally an answer to the question, what is the good life, who has it, and how do I get it? Everybody's chasing this question. I'm chasing this question. What's the answer to this question? So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at Ecclesiastes, which is a book devoted to answering these questions. You see, Solomon is a very, very, very rich man. He's a very powerful man. He has a lot of time on his hands, and he can actually chase down the different answers that human beings come up with to this question. And as he's been looking at the different options, we've been walking with him. And today, we're going to look at the next phase in the project. Solomon has actually chased down the big answers to the question, what is the good life that mankind offers? The answers are always the same. And, to, and he's found them empty. And today, he's going to turn towards God. He's actually going to go to God and see if the answer to the question, what's going to make me happy, is found there. Is that going to give me meaning and hope in life? <clears throat> in our culture, we have answers to these questions too. In America, you're always being told that the answer to these questions is one of three things. There's three big gospels that are always preached in America. The gospel of pleasure, the gospel of possessions, and the gospel of position. If you just have enough fun, if you have a good time in your life, then you're living the good life. And if you're not having fun, you're not. If you just have enough stuff, a house, a car, the nice phone, nice clothes, then you're living the good life. 
And if you don't have those things, you're not. If you're popular, if you have power, if people look at you and they measure their life against you, well, then you're living the good life. And if you don't, then you're not. Is that true? Is that going to give me the happiness that I want? Solomon says no. He actually tried pleasure. He tried possessions. He tried position, and they left him empty. They left him emptier than they found him. They don't give him the happiness, the peace, the meaning, the joy that every human heart craves. So what is the answer? That is where God comes into the equation. You see, God created all of us, and he loves us, and he wants you to have the very best version of your life. And that is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save you, to help you, to give you these answers. Here's the answer to the question, what is the good life? According to Jesus, from John 17, 3, it says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, the good life is not in pleasure, it's not in position, it's not in possession. The good life is found in a person. It's found in a person. It's found in God himself. Because all of us, we want, we want inside of us, the Bible says God put eternity in our hearts. We have this burning desire that can't be met outside of the God who put it there. God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has no limits. He's alive. He has a life. He lives eternal life. And what God is doing in Jesus Christ is he is reaching out to the human race to bring you into his life so that you can have a relationship with him. He's a person. You can have a relationship with him. I'm a person. You can have a relationship with me. God wants you to have a relationship with him. And if you walk in your days with the God who has eternal life, you begin to fold your life into his life and you are actually experiencing eternal life. You begin to think like he thinks. You begin to feel like he feels. You begin to want what he wants. You begin to do what he would have you do. And as you're walking over your life, over the days, over the months, over the weeks, over the decades, you look back and you realize, I am living the very best version of my life that I can have because I'm living it with the God who made me. I'm walking with Jesus Christ. Knowing God is the answer to the question, what is the good life? But here's the bad news. Bad news is that you can miss it. You can miss it. And that's what Solomon wants to look at today. That's what I want to look at today. Because your approach to God, the approach you take to God, can lead you to the good life and it can also lead you away. And there are two big things that can block you, can take you off the course. The first is you can get distracted and follow one of these other gospels. You can, you can believe the gospel of wisdom and self-discipline of the Greeks. You can believe the gospel of self-denial of the East. You can believe the, the gospel of pleasure, possessions, and position that we have in America. You can believe those things. You can chase those things. And those things will leave you empty. They won't give you life. You can also approach God on your own terms, and that won't give you life. Actually, according to Jesus, few people find this life that we want. Here's what he says in Matthew 7.13. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Most people are approaching God the wrong way. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. The life you want to live, the good life. And few find it. Few people find it. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss the life that God has for you. And so today we're going to look at the two approaches that we can take. But before we do that, I'd like to pray. So let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray that you would, that you would speak through me today. 
I pray that you would open up the Bible and help it make sense to us. I pray that you would help us see the area in our life where we're dealing with tension and that we would invite you into that area. And I pray that, God, you'd help us to see how we can take steps to you so that we can experience eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at two passages. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7, and then we're going to look at a passage in Luke, which is something that Jesus wanted to communicate to us, a story he told. So we're going to take it in chunks. And, and, and as we go through this passage, you're going to see the two approaches that are available to you. There are two approaches you can take to God. And you want to take the right approach. So here we go. Let's go ahead and begin with this passage, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 3. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. Drawing near to listen is better than to offer. It's better to listen when you come to God's house than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. They don't have any sense that God is in heaven and they're below, that God created them and has an expectation for their life, and they're not living their life for God. They don't have any sense that they do evil. Be not rash with your mouth, not let, uh, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. God is above, you are below. God is your creator, you are the creation. God is in heaven, you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. The next section says, For dreams come with much business and fools' voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. If you promise, God, I love you so much, I want to give you this, this is, you're so important to me, I'm going to give you my life. I love you so much, I'm going to give you this money. I love you so much, I'm going to give you this time. Great, you love me that much? Awesome, give it to me. Great. Don't delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. There's that word again, fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Why? Let your mouth not lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Wait, it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? You see, a vow in the Bible is an act of dedication. It's an act of devotion to God. You say, wow, God, you're so important to me. I'm getting this big bonus, and I'm so grateful that, that I have this job that you've given me, and I'm going to give you half of that bonus. Or, God, you're so important to me, I want to give you my life, and I'm going to plug into your church because you love your church, and you died for your church, and so I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to join a team. I'm going to be involved in community groups. I, I'm going to give you my life. But then something comes up, and you want to take it back. Wait, 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 I made a mistake. You see, I want to give you the bonus, but the, the Giants are in the World Series. And my buddy's got tickets for 200 bucks. And I want to give you the bonus that I said I was going to give you, but I kind of need that money to go to the game. And what's happening is this person has idols. This person has something else that they love more than God. They're coming to God to get God to give them what they want. They're making offerings to God, promises to God. They're saying all these right things to God because they want God to use his divine power to help them. And they want to take back the oath, that the vow they made. And here's what God says about that. He says, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? You see, God will not share your affection with anything else. If you have something else behind you that you love more than God, some idol that you want God to give you power to, to build up, relationships, money, whatever, whatever it is. If there's something more important to you than God, and you come to God and say, oh, I'm going to give you this and I'm going to give you that, and you're expecting him to bless you so that you can, 
you can build up this thing that's more important to you than him, he's not going to support that. He's going to destroy the work of your hands. And in a lot of our lives, even for those of us who are Christians, we're not exactly experiencing the eternal kind of life that we read in the Bible. We, we, we want peace and joy, but actually in our day-to-day life, we're experiencing a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and a lot of loneliness. We, we want relationships. In our, we want our marriage to be great. We want our kids to grow up well. But actually, our marriage isn't doing so well. And there's something going on in our family, and it's not just the normal wear and tear. Something's off. You're not experiencing the good life that you read that Christ wants to give you. It may be your approach to God. It may, it may be your approach to God. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Fear God means take him seriously, seriously enough to do what he says. When you hear God say to you, here's what I think, here's what I'd like you to do. When you fear him, you take him seriously enough to do what he says. You obey him. The first part of the passage says, listen. The last part of the passage says, fear God. And so now if we back up and we ask, what are the two approaches that are being presented to us that Solomon is giving to us? What are the two approaches to God that we can take? Here's the summary. You can take kind of two approaches. One approach is to say that God exists to glorify me. See, God is in heaven and you're on earth. But this fool, when he comes to God, he doesn't act like that. He comes to talk. He comes to offer. He comes to give. And he does that because he expects God to help him, to bless his life, to, to basically make him successful. This is what I call the Gandalf approach. This is Gandalf and Frodo. And, you know, look, Frodo, he's small and he's weak and, you know, he needs help. And, yeah, I'm willing to admit before God that I, got, I don't have it all together. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the perfect guy. But let's be realistic. Frodo is the star of the show. Frodo is the star of the show. And Gandalf exists to help Frodo. Sure, Gandalf's powerful. You know, he's got some serious game. He's got a sweet beard and a staff. He can do spells. But Gandalf exists to support Frodo. Gandalf exists to help Frodo with his mission. And we can approach God that way. We can come to God as if God exists to glorify me. And if we take that approach, we're not going to experience the eternal life. In fact, religion in our society and spirituality in our society, it is teaching us to approach God this way. We value tolerance more than anything else in this world. We love tolerance because tolerance says, I do what I want and you do what you want. And as long as you don't judge me and I don't judge you, we're good. Tolerance says that my way is the right way. And whatever way I want is is the way I go. Tolerance has become the highest value in our culture. And so the second mistake we can make is we can take what I call the Jesus is my homeboy approach. This is Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher's got a shirt on that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And so we can come to God as if God is tolerant and likes me just how I am. God is tolerant. In the passage that we just looked at, it says, the fools who do not know that they do evil. And more and more and more, we're encouraged to come to God as if he's tolerant, he likes me just how I am, and so let's get on the business of him helping me with my life. God is not tolerant. God is patient. He's patient like a father who waits and works to help raise his kid for good. God is patient and he's holy. He's completely good. He's completely loving. He's completely right. And he wants you and me, the people he created, to be that way too, but we're not because all of us have chosen to discard God and to live our lives independently from him. We have kicked him off the throne of our hearts and we sit upon that throne and we do what we want to do 
when we want to do it, how we want to do it. God is holy, and he expects us to love and worship him, and we don't. And so, what God wants is for us to repent. He wants for us to turn, to acknowledge that we're living our life independently, and to come to him humbly. We don't want to take the Gandalf approach. That's not the way to life. That's not going to give you the happiness that everybody wants, that I want, that you want, that Aristotle wants, that Buddha wants, that all the people out the window want. That will not give you the good life. Religion and spirituality will encourage you to go to God as if he's your homeboy. The last part, last characteristic of this passage, of this approach, is what I call the Aladdin approach. There's a picture of Aladdin up here. You've all seen the movie. And this is that God is kind of like my genie. I go to God to tell him what I want. I go to God to say what I want. In this passage, it says, be careful when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer. Go near to listen rather than to speak. This person runs to God and says, hey, God, what's up? Remember me? I'm kind of a big deal. You know, star of the show. Here's what I need. Here's what I really want from you. This person is encouraged to go to God as if he's their genie. And he's not the genie. God created us, and he wants us to go to him to hear what he wants us to do. Because what he wants for us is really the very best thing. He wants us to have the very best kind of life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God loves you. In the Old Testament, in in the time of Israel, God said, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and to keep all my commands always. Why? So that it might go well with them and their children forever. God loves you, man. He wants you to have a good life. But if you approach him like he's your Gandalf, if you approach him like he's your homeboy, if you approach him like he's your genie, you're going to miss the good life. You're going to miss the happiness that every single heart craves. Now, it might be helpful at this point to have an illustration. And so Jesus actually teaches on this very topic, a very specific, very helpful picture of what we're talking about. And what he does is he wants his disciples to learn this lesson, that the approach you take to God is crucial. And so in Luke 18, 9, Jesus tells a story of two people. Here's how it goes. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. See there? Which approach is that? Confidence in their own righteousness. That's a Jesus is my homeboy approach. That's God is tolerant. He loves me just how I am. I'm just, I'm awesome. When I come to God, I'm awesome. And he's just, he can't wait to, to light up my plans. He can't wait to, vent, to fund my venture. He can't wait to give me what I want. To people like that <clears throat> who think they're awesome when they come to God, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Two men went to pray. And this is just like what Solomon's talking about in Ecclesiastes. Remember, the first line in Ecclesiastes is, be careful when you go to the house of God. Jesus is saying two men are going to the house of God. He's talking about the exact same scenario. So two men went up to the, to, up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Just a bit about these two. The Pharisee is the coolest, best person in society. He's the guy that everybody wants to be. He's the guy with the most respect. He's the top dog, the most religious. And the tax collector is the worst. He's the bottom of the food chain. Nobody likes tax collectors. So you're talking about the least popular versus the most popular. The top versus the bottom. Put it side by side so that you can see two different approaches that you could take to God. He says, the Pharisee stood by himself. He didn't stand with the people, which is normal. Normally the people get together, they make their offering, they stand in front of the temple, they pray up to God together in a group, but he doesn't do that. He's he's over here. And why is he over here? Here's what Jesus says. He says, this is his prayer. Listen to this guy. God, I thank you 
that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Listen to this guy's tone when he comes to God. You can just hear he's about to turn the corner and say, Therefore, here's what I want you to do for me. This guy has no sense, has no sense of his place before God. This guy thinks that he's awesome. This guy thinks that Jesus is his homeboy. And up against this guy, Jesus puts the other guy, the tax collector. And here's what he said. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. This guy wouldn't even look up to heaven. Remember in Ecclesiastes, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Take your place. Let your words be few. This guy, this tax collector, he's way back here. He won't even look up to God. And instead, he's beating his breast out of his own sense of repentance. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. That's all Jesus gives you. That's the only snapshot that he gives you of these two people. And then, here's his point. He said, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, the guy that you all despise, but the guy who was humble before me, the guy who recognized that he exists to glorify me, that I'm patient and holy, and therefore he needs to repent, the guy who came to me humbly, the tax collector, rather than the other guy, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Justified. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That guy went home justified. His, his, his penalty, his, his sin that separated him from God, the thing that broke the relationship, gone. He goes home close. He goes home with God. He goes home in God's good graces. He goes home justified. And that means he has a chance to walk with God that week and to actually experience the eternal life that God has for him. But the other guy, it says, but the other guy didn't. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. To those who humble themselves when they approach God, God will lift you up into his eternal life. God will bring you into his life. And as you walk with him, he will begin to give you the good life that you desire. These are two approaches that we can choose. So what's, what's that mean for us? What's the summary? What's the bottom line? Here's the bottom line. There are three big questions that we all want to know. What is the good life? Who has it and how do I get it? According to John 17, 3, according to Jesus, the good life is a relationship with God. So the bottom line is this. Jesus gives the good life away to those who will listen, repent, and obey. Jesus gives the good life away. He gives it to those who listen, repent, and obey. What approach are you taking? You might be thinking, well, I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian. Amen. I love that. That makes sense. Okay. Sounds good. But are you experiencing the eternal life that God has for you? Now, I want to spend the rest of the time of the message trying to bring this home and bring this to, to apply this to your circumstance. What does this mean for me? I, I actually want, I want to approach God the right way. I want to experience the good life that Christ wants to give me. I, I want to do that. But what does that mean? Well, to do that, the first thing we need to do is ask a question. So here's the question we need to ask if we want to move into the life that Christ has for you. The question is this. Where is there tension in your life right now? Right now in your life, where are you experiencing tension? Frustration, fear, 
anxiety? What's, what's not working? What, what's not going right? It might be a relationship. It may be relational tension. It may be financial. It may be emotional. It could be that you don't have direction in your life. It could be here at church. I want you right now, all of you, to, to take the handout where it has a line, and I want you to write on the line one thing that you're experiencing right now where you're experiencing tension in your life. Think about it. And like I said, God loves us. And he wants us to have the very best kind of life. And he wants to meet you where you are. And oftentimes, the point in your life where you're experiencing tension, that is where God wants to work. That's where he has your attention. Your attention is where the tension is. So there are two things that you need to know or be able to do to actually move into the eternal life. The first one is this. You need to know what God says. What does God want you to do? What does the Bible say about this part of your life? More specifically, what does God want you to do here in this area of your life? And the second thing is, you need to do it. Sounds easy, right? Oh, that's it? Then why aren't so many, why aren't, why aren't people all around experiencing this life? Why does Jesus say few find it? The reason is because there are three big barriers that can block you can block you from experiencing the good life that Christ wants to give you. And here they are. The first one is, you don't know what God's word says about this area of your life. The second block is that you may know what God's word says, because you know, you grew up in the church, or you've been a Christian a long time. You have a lot of Bible verses memorized. And you know what God wants you to do, but you don't want to do it. Or the third block, the third block is, you know what God's word says, And you actually want to do it. But every time you try to obey and you try to walk in what God is calling you to, you stop. You stop before the end, before the finish line, before the harvest time. You stop before you get to the point in your life where God is really blessing you. You get discouraged. You get distracted. Maybe distracted by one of the other gospels that's always being preached to you. And so you don't experience the good life God has for you in that area of your life. Now, if you're the first person, if you don't know what God's word says, I have some really great news for you. It has never been easier in history to know what the Bible says about the area of your life where you're experiencing tension. If you have a smartphone, hold it up. I know Ryan said to turn off your cell phones, which is great, but if you have a smartphone, hold it up. Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody if you don't have a smartphone or embarrass you if you do have a smartphone, but this is how ubiquitous it is. These phones are everywhere. Now, if you don't know what God's word says, let's say you said, oh, man, I'm having some real tension in relationships. Watch this. Google, give me verses on relationships. Bible verses about relationships. Right here I have over 30 verses, specifically from the Bible, on the topic of relationships. The first one in this list is Proverbs 13:20. He who walks with the wise grows wise. The companion of fools suffers harm. You have relational tension maybe. Who are you walking with? Who are the closest friends in your life? Who do you let speak into your life? When you get frustrated with your wife or husband, who do you call? And is that person that you walk with, is that person walking with the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Is that person listening to God's voice, repenting and obeying daily? Is that person drawing you towards God? Or is that person chasing some other path in life? If you walk with the wise, you'll be wise and you'll be drawn towards Christ. This is one verse from a Google search applied to the context of relationships. It has never been easier in history to find out what God's word says about the tension in your life. You can listen to God. You can hear God if you want to. The second barrier is, you know what God's word says. I know five more verses about relationships you say. But I'm having a hard time wanting to do it. I feel you. A couple weeks ago, I was at Starbucks, and I was sitting down to read my Bible. And before I read my Bible, I said, God, is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything you want to tell me? Is there anything in my life that you want to change? I'm listening. I want to hear you. And instantly, God brought to my mind a ticket that I got six months ago. Not a speeding ticket. Uh, um, uh, A ticket for not having my seatbelt on. I work at Claremont High School. I drove across the street to the Botanical Gardens. And when I was driving there, I didn't have my seatbelt on. Cop pulled me over, gave me a ticket. I took the ticket, and I just griped for like the next week to everyone who would listen. It was slain, man. What's the problem? It's my car. I mean, I'm in the car. There's nobody with me. Who cares? It's my choice. I mean, I totally did the libertarian argument, you know. And then the ticket came in the mail, and I'm like, postpone three months later. Then it came back. It's like, postpone again six months. Now it's six months later. And I'm already in my mind, I'm looking online for ways that I can compete the ticket, right? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend my First Amendment rights. I'm an American. I'm sure none of you are like that. So God brings this to my mind. I'm thinking he's going to tell me something awesome, and he says, how about that ticket? And as soon as he said it, I started saying, like, but, but God, you know, here's the thing, though. Like, it's not right for them to be in my car. There's nobody else in my car. What's the, you know, I'm a big boy. And, I, and as I'm saying, the, I'm, I am saying these things at Starbucks under my breath. It's early. Nobody's there, hopefully. <laughs> and then God brings to my mind the Bible. He brings to my mind the Bible. Romans 13.1. Everyone should submit themselves to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist, the authorities that gave you the ticket, the justice system that you're inside of has been established by God. When I rebel against that system, when I talk about the cop, when I refuse to play ball with the justice system I live inside of, I'm actually rebelling against God. That's what his word says. And at that moment, I have a choice to make. I can say, oh, well, that's just a Protestant perspective on the verse. Oh, well, that's God, you don't understand my special case. Or I can turn and I can do what he says. Many of you have been Christians a long time, but there are areas of your life where you're not experiencing the eternal life, and it's because you're not willing to repent. Just like me. I know what it's like. And so I repented, and I paid the ticket on my iPad, and I spent time in the Word of God, and it was awesome. Because I knew I was pleasing the God of the universe. And that's an awesome feeling to have. That's a great relationship to have. The Bible says, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. God was, was I knew God. I mean, he would talk to me, and I listened, and I talked back, and I did it. And I, I was walking with God that day. I went to my classroom, I was teaching my students, and I was teaching my students with God in the room with me. That is good life. That is what you're made for. If you want to go to heaven, that's what heaven's like. If you don't want to spend your days on earth walking with God, talking with God, worshiping God now, you're not going to like heaven because that's what heaven's like. It's all about Jesus in heaven. 
It's a pretty awesome life walking with the God who made you. And I don't always do it, but when I do, that's the good life. The third thing that might keep you from the good life that Christ has for you is you know what God's word says and you want to do it, but you just don't keep going. You don't keep going. I know what it's like to quit before the finish line. About three or four months ago, I went to San Francisco for a technology conference. I started a company called PrayBuzz. It's a prayer app for your phone. You can pray with anyone, anywhere, anytime. I go to this conference. It's a competition. You go with your app. Then you meet programmers. You put together a team. You make your app better. Then you submit it for prize money. So me and my partner went. Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, right? We get up there. We go there the first day. I pitch my app. It is, it is really the best app that's brought to the competition. It really was because there wasn't a whole lot of other apps there. And it had a bunch of users. It, 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 maybe it's not the best. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> it had the most users and it had the most activity of all the other apps that were there. It was a lot of people who were early on, early stages. They were doing great things, but we were further along. So I go there expecting people like, this is fantastic. Nobody wanted to be on my team. You want to join my team? No, 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 definitely not. And it was discouraging. Saturday morning, we come back. Nobody wants to be on my team. So I go off into a room by myself. I say, God, I don't know what to do. I'm here at this conference. I'm trying to like build play buzz. What do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. And I open my Bible on my phone and God brings to my mind 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth. He's looking throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So he says that to me and I'm like, okay, where's the strengthening? I'm here. I'm committed to you. I'm willing to pull the plug on Pray Buzz. I'm willing to keep going on Pray Buzz. I'm ready for the strengthening. Where's the strengthening? No strengthening. Nobody's joining my team. And as I thought about what God said, I listened to him. As I thought about what he was saying, he was telling me to wait. Wait. It's Saturday morning. You have all Saturday day, all Saturday night, Sunday. you got time for me to come through. So I went back to my partner. I'm like, here's what I hear God say. Here's what I think we should do. We start talking to more people, and they're like, no, no, no. And I got discouraged. Four hours later, I'm discouraged again. I forgot what God said. I'm not waiting. And me and my partner, we're like, let's just go home. Let's go get a steak. (laughs) Tuesday morning, I open up my computer and I look at who won the prizes. And guess what I saw? There's a guy holding a check for $2,000. This was prize money for the person who brought the best app to the competition. You didn't have to improve it. There was money for people who had improved apps, but there was money for people who just brought them. And the guy who won was this little guy who sat across from us the entire conference, and his app was a prayer app. And it had no code. It had a screen and a bunch of stuff on paper that he was going to do. And he submitted that. And apparently everybody left. And he got the $2,000 check. I didn't wait. Some of you have been Christians a long time and you want God to work in your life and you know what he says and you're willing to do it. But as it gets harder and more and more difficult and it's long and it's not working and it's like, where's the finish line? You get discouraged. I know what that's like. You have to keep going. And here's the key with that. If you're in that spot, if you're in spot number three, you've got to talk to people. Your brothers and sisters in Christ at this church are here to encourage you. They're here to encourage you. And if I would have called my friends, they would have encouraged me, but I didn't. And I missed it. 
Are you living the very best version of your life? Are you living the eternal life that Christ wants for you? Is this as good as it gets for you? Some of you are at the end of your careers. Your kids are older. Is that it? God's done with your life. He's looking at the younger generation. He's got no use for you. No. God loves you and he wants to walk with you and give you the eternal life today, this month, this year, this decade, and on into eternity. And you can have that eternal life if you will turn over the point of your life of tension, if you'll go to Jesus who gives the good life away, if you'll listen to him, if you'll repent and you'll obey. And if you keep doing that over time, over time, the weeks and months stack up to years, to decades, and you look back and you realize, I really have been living the eternal kind of life. Imagine this week, if you sat down with your Bible every single day, and all of you, not all of you, many of you have read your Bible every day, and I do too, but you know, sometimes I just go to the Bible with an agenda. Sometimes I go to the Bible with 15 minutes on the clock, and when 15 minutes is up, I'm done. Sometimes I go to God's Word not to listen, but to talk. Imagine this week if you sat down with your Bible, and you opened up, and the first thing you said was, God, I'm willing to listen to you. I want to hear from you. I will do whatever you want. I want to know what you want to say to me. Is there anything you want to change in my life? I'm listening. I come to listen, not to speak. And then you start to read your Bible. God is not going to rip you off. God is going to speak to you. God is gracious. He's a loving father. I'm a father. I have a little kid. I don't play games with my kids. Just the smallest reach with their hands to me, and I'm there for them. That is who God is. That is who he is for you. And if you will commit this week to reading your Bibles and listening to God, that habit can transform your life. If you go to Jesus, who gives a good life away, to listen, repent, and obey, you will not miss the good life. And if you look back over your life, a life built walking with Christ, you will have experienced the thing that every human being is chasing, happiness. Everybody's on a happiness quest. There's one man who can give it to you. That's Jesus Christ. Don't miss it this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to you and the opportunity to have a relationship with you. I thank you that you listen to us and that we can listen to you. I thank you that you love us and that you sent your son Jesus to bring us to you. I pray for those here who have not yet decided to follow Christ, that, God, you would create faith in their hearts to give you a chance to reach out to you, to listen to you, to speak to you, to see you come through. I pray for those of of us here who have been walking with you, who are discouraged, that you would give us courage to keep obeying. For those of us who are not sure we're willing to repent, that you would give us, that you'd show us that your way is best. And for those of us that don't know your word, that you would, you would speak to our circumstance. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.